Welcome to the Writer's Hour, where we have creative conversations with up-and-coming authors on their latest books. This is the place to be if you wish to get a preview of new books that are available for the voracious bibliophile, as well as the story behind the story for the voyeur who wishes a peek behind the creative curtain. Here's your host, Janine Bolin. Welcome to the Writer's Hour Creative Conversations. I'm your host, Janine Bolin. And with me today is, it's a wonderful kind of experience when I have people that are referred to me. And today I have an author by the name of Andre Gress, and he is coming to us live. And we will be able to chat with him a little bit about his writing process and what he does. He's very well informed on the writing process. He's done all kinds of different sorts of systems, and he's going to talk to us. Uh, about a few of the different ones that he's tried and where he finally found his success. Thank you so much, Andre, for being with us today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you so much. It's great. Um, So tell us a little bit about your current work, your current book, and a little bit about uh, some of the accolades that you've been able to receive based on this book already. Well, people think that I'm going against the grain in terms of uh, the elements that I put into my to my work, where I don't consider myself really a genre writer. It means more like I put whatever elements of any genre that I can think of that will do service to the story, which uh, is entitled Boone and Jack, which is the series title. The first installment is called Saddled in the Secret, which has been out for about a year. Uh, I've been getting different responses over time. At first, there was people that didn't quite understand it or didn't like it. Uh, and then as I started to not really ask people to buy the book or even talk about it, I really just talked about subjects that are included in there so that people feel connected to it. Because in the end, if you're a reader, you're not connecting to just the character. But you're connecting to something in your personal life that is in the book that you it might not even be um, one of the main characters you connect to. You can connect to a B character in one, in one scene because of something in your life. I agree. So one of the things that is fun on this particular uh, podcast is we have a lot of writers who listen in and just find out different writing styles, different writing processes. So this is your, is, your breakout, your debut novel, if you will, but you've been writing poetry for a while, haven't you? Yeah, uh, actually, since I did my associate's degree in creative writing uh, at Kwantlen Polytechnic University. Uh, I didn't really take it seriously, though, when I first took the couple classes. But when I went back to school to finish my bachelor's, uh, I took like maybe four classes, one form poetry class, two workshop classes, and another um one where I just chose to do poetry where it was like a special topics class and I chose poetry. Poetry to me is more of a warm up exercise uh, because what's really unique about poetry for anyone that's a minimalist kind of writer is it forces you to uh, create flow in a small amount of space. And that for me, at least as a novelist, it helps me, create that kind of sing song rhythm when you read it, when you read a book. I mean, that's why the Harry Potter series is so, is so big. It's not just the story. It's, it's how it reads. 
I agree. One of the things that I've heard over and over about since you brought up Harry Potter, one of the things I've heard over and over again is that she handles dialogue very well. It's almost like you don't even notice that it's there. And that is quite a skill set. So in your own books, did you struggle at all trying to put dialogue in or did it flow fairly seamlessly for you? It flowed for me, but my editor told me that he had to, at least for the first installment of the series, he had to uh, really edit them to, to show me where, where, uh, I was kind of having trouble, at least for his, his, uh, side of the, of the, of the work. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with admitting that I'm wrong. Uh, and as writers, we get used to that a lot. Excuse me for cutting in. We're wrong a lot, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's called revision. <laughs> right. Amen. We live on a revision, don't yeah. we? <laughs> but what it came down to in terms of uh, what I had to work on for dialogue is it had to be part of the scene as opposed to put into uh, like, like in between action paragraphs. It, it can't just be thrown in there for the sake of breaking up monotony of description. It has to, it has to, it's almost like writing a, a film script, which is how it started. It, it's, it's action before reaction, which is, which is the person reacting to the situation. And, but for, for novel writing, cause it's set in stone stone, you have to be very careful with how much dialogue you put, because if you want it to be dialogue driven, that's fine, but it has to move the story forward. It can't just be a block text that is like an information dump. When I read uh, Pet Cemetery uh, from Stephen King, I was like, why are there, why is there three pages of one person talking? That's that to me is a bit overkill. But if if it works for you, not just as a writer but as a reader, fine. But it has to be engaging. It can't just be information for the sake of information. Right. We we hear stories about that a lot, don't we? And Pet Cemetery, by the way, is one of those books that um, I was silly and I read that at night in the dark and that was ridiculous and I'll never read a Stephen King novel like that again where I'm in the dark. Yeah, it was funny that I did that to myself. But um, back to your writing, though. So screenwriting was your start. Is that what I understand? Yeah, when I finished my associate's degree, and that was a long time ago, um, I tried to do screenwriting. I posted an ad on on Craigslist, and I got a job with with a director for my script. But what was really disheartening about, especially as as someone that doesn't have a face yet in in the industry, uh, is that because the director wants his vision and his story, essentially, it's more like he's asking me to tailor my story to his vision. So it's not my story anymore. We got to the point where we did like a rough cut, but it fell through because he wanted to do a reshoot with the actors, but they refused because they wanted to do my original screenplay. So that kind of killed my motivation. And then I tried it again later, but then that fell through again. Uh, And then I actually stopped uh, with screenwriting and did personal training for a year because I wanted a change but it really was me doing a cop out for my for my lack of motivation. When I wanted to get back on the horse, and I wasn't even going to school, uh, a friend of mine and I wanted to do a children's book. And what was really difficult for me, and this is why I don't I have a hard time working with other artists, and I have to really get well with them. Uh, is if I don't think the same way as you, if I have a different approach. 
it's not going to work. So her approach as uh, more of a businesswoman, she wanted to look at the numbers first before even completing the project. She's like, if it doesn't make top 10 Amazon, I don't want to do this. And I'm like, you know, we haven't even finished, right? So that's why I went back to school. I'm like, well, I don't really have credibility. I don't know what I'm talking about either. So I went back to school so that when I do go on my own, which is why I did self-publishing, at least I'll have a bit more knowledge and a bit more of a well-rounded, you know, kind of know-how. I might not know everything right away, but at least I have the fundamentals. And and that's very helpful. Uh, Many of the people that are publishing their books these days are doing self-publishing because trying to get into traditional publishing can cost you quite a bit of money. So you might Mm -hmm. as well just start with a reader base and a fan base and then move up to a publishing house after you've established yourself as an author. So I think you made a very wise move with all of that. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, So you were talking about, you know, you were stuck, right? You started the screenwriting and you do Mm -hmm. poetry kind of for warm up, but, what is it that really helps you get unstuck from all the previous stuff to help you start writing the current novel that you're, you're now published in? But what, what changed for me with this series is that I didn't think of it as a new project to do. I thought of it as a new way to uh, kind of restart the engine with a new car. So when I f- started writing this, I didn't think about really anything technical or or the paranoia of of uh of uh, writer's block or anything <laughs> i just wrote for the fun of it i didn't give myself a time limit i didn't say i want it out now it's it's more it, this is just for me i did a bit of research i i i uh, interviewed someone that had uh, a foster childhood because one of the characters jack as a foster child. And I didn't know anything about that. So I did a bit of research and then I interviewed people and that that way it feels authentic. I'm not, you know, (laughs) uh, tragedy isn't always necessary to make a character interesting. It's fun, (laughs) but it's not necessary the whole time. Um, but that's what really what changed is I didn't try to put so much pressure on myself. When I hear about people taking like 10 years to get a book out, I, I go, why? why? Why why are you like, it's okay to be a perfectionist, but if you're so afraid of putting your book out there because you're afraid of what people will say, or you're going to notice this detail, that detail missing, but they won't, but it's all down to your own paranoia. It You're kind of boxing yourself in, in terms of your own exposure. And it, you shouldn't worry about that. You should just enjoy, you know, the, the passion of it. I'm sensing a little bit of that personal trainer coming out in you when you say stuff like that. Of <laughs> You're very aware of the limitations that we construct in our own mind as writers and yeah. the, the terror of like when you write a book, you're literally putting yourself out there. And yeah. it seems like you've come up with some very effective systems for walking yourself out of that, even though you had some pretty ugly or icky uh, experiences when you were first starting with the screenwriting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, I look forward to the rest of the series. So can yep. you tell us a, a little bit about, do you do character sketches? Like I've heard some people will actually take a character and they'll write anywhere from 1500 to 5,000 words just on a character's backstory and what they are. Do you do those sorts of exercises for your stories? 
before starting the first installment, I did do uh, a lot of, I guess, trial and error kind of thing. I, I don't really write extensive background for each character. I feel that it's more freeing to let their details unfold throughout the story without it feeling like you're, you're telling the, the reader everything. It's more like here's 75% of what you should know. And then you imagine the 25% that that's left, you know, it's, it's not necessary, at least for me, it depends. It depends on, on the genre. If you're going to write full on high fantasy, then yes, you have to write a lot of background for each character because it's a very layered type of genre to write. One of my, my, uh, student, sorry, my classmates, um, he wanted to write something like that. So he had to do a lot of research on religion and classism and all this stuff that I never thought of doing, but you have to do that if you're going to have a really rich story like Lord of the Rings. That kind of story takes a lot of of, uh, not just creativity, but a lot of organizing, a lot of detail, where me, I have a more grounded style. So I don't really think about that stuff because I like a balance of realism and fantasy, where the fantasy is kind of just helping the character along in terms of being uh, resourceful, as opposed to relying on, uh, you know, convenience. You know, right. magical characters have the convenience of magic, where these two characters are just real people dealing with uh, out-of-the-ordinary circumstances. Uh, I understand. And I like the way you phrased that you, you write down 75% and you let the reader bring in the other 25%. That was a technique used by Edgar Allan Poe very beautifully mm. when he would, like The Fall of the House of Usher was one of those stories that your own imagination fills in a lot of gaps. Because what was funny to me was, um, I remember a, a English literature professor saying, so where did you pick up on all the fog that was around the house? Because Edgar never mentions that. And everybody was like, whoa, because it, it was true. He had described everything else beautifully, but he let you put the fog into the swamp. And yeah. so that sounds like you have definitely picked up on that very excellent technique mm-hmm. in your own writing. That's cool. Yeah. So when you uh, are chugging along and you're writing, do you have a system where you write every day or do you write to the project? How, how do you go about your writing? I'm going to sound lazy. I only write on my days off, uh, but it's because before I even touch paper or my computer, I do all of my planning ahead of time. So maybe a month or two, I'm doing a lot of reading and and mapping out things of what I want to do. But when I put up like on my, my cork board behind me, uh, that's just a rough storyline. I don't really follow it to, to, to the letter. And that's what I mean by freeing myself. You know, I can't have one storyline that I'm dedicated to because if I do that, then I, my, like overthinking process starts to drive me nuts. And then I don't write anything. The, the, the core of, of uh, writer's block is anxiety towards the execution of what you're writing. It's not, it's not really there. It's you, you create it because you're afraid of how it's going to come down on the paper, but you have to realize first draft is first thought, meaning you're not supposed to, or at least you shouldn't, uh, 
make this permanent as, as in this is going to, what's going to happen in the end by the time I'm done revisions, the complete opposite. It's almost like you're throwing up for the first draft and then you clean up your mess as you revise and revise and revise. <laughs> exactly. You're not the first one to talk about how it's uh, the first draft is literally just stream of consciousness writing. And there's yeah. a little bit of loose structure for some writers. Some other writers are like, I don't even think I just write uh, because yeah. of what you've talked about, the preparatory work that you've done for months ahead yeah. of time. You know, now it's just a matter of getting, get the ideas down on paper and whatever ugly format they manage to actually present themselves in it. Well, tell us a little bit about how somebody could go and visit your work. What are some areas that people are like, hey, I like the way this Andrew and Andre Gruss guy, you know, operates. So how do they find out more about you and your book? I rely on my Facebook page for for the author stuff. Uh, I don't spend any money on advertising. I don't like doing that, <laughs> mainly because of my paranoia of giving someone my credit card information. <laughs> but uh, for finding me, it, that's really essential because I have my email, uh, my personal email on there. Because I know not everyone's going to like my work, even if they've read it. And if they have an issue with me, they can talk to me privately. I, I'm okay with with. Uh, with explaining everything. And it's not that I'm going to explain it in a way where I'm going to get you to like me. It's, it's more like this is here for this reason. I didn't mean this or that, or I did mean this. And if they take offense to that, that's okay. I'm not going to pander to a bigger audience just because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So writers who do that, where they kind of pander to a bigger audience, that, that's just a little weird for me. Um, so, to me, where people can find me, I'm not asking them to just find me. I want them to communicate and connect with me. So that's really the main uh, resource if people want to connect with me. So you would prefer them to reach out to you on Facebook rather than going to a website or something like that? Yeah, because to me, it's more personal and everyone has access to Facebook. And um, I do have Instagram that's semi-personal, semi-professional. I have little hints that I put in there for the next installment of something. Excellent. So, you know, the, the thing for me that I try to focus on is being a person first before being an author, before being even being a public figure that uh, grows over time. And I understand that, you know, other authors are more professional and they have, you know, their own domain and everything, but I prefer being grounded in realism first until I can establish a uh, more, uh, grounded and bigger presence is your book available on amazon it's available on amazon in paperback and kindle and if anyone lives in bc they can find it at indigo in langley and oh, only one only one now because one of the one of the used bookstores that had my my uh my book is shutting down this week right uh, but, i understand but, yeah but there is one uh, in Chilliwack, BC. Okay. And- Wonderful. Well, Andre, thank you so much for taking time out of your day and your research to be on the Writer's Hour Creative Conversations. We appreciate you sharing not only the wisdom, but your years of experience to help fledgling new authors as they build their novels. Is there any last piece of advice that you'd like to share with your with the listeners? Yes. Uh, when you do research, 
don't try to just put in information for the sake of information. Try to realize that you're putting a person in the end in your book, whether it's high fantasy or even just like urban fiction. Uh, you, you should interview people with whatever research you do so that when you, when a reader reads your book, they read it as a human being, you know, like each character is a human being, even if they're a, a werewolf and they have to have their human side. Right. So that, that's, that's necessary. You know, you have to humanize your characters just so that people can, can connect with it emotionally, even if they hate the character, you have to have some kind of reasoning for what, for the way they are. So, yeah. Excellent advice. That, that is well said. Well, thank you very much for your time, Andre. We will be reaching back out to you when you have that second volume. Definitely look us back up so we can have, uh, have you on again. And this is Janine Bolin with the Writer's Hour Creative Conversations. Please remember, just get down to that computer and just start typing. Thank you for having me. You betcha. Thank you for listening to the Writer's Hour. To hear more about the creative conversations that Janine Bolin is sharing with her listeners, please visit janinebolin.com forward slash guest. Guest.